0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y-T-E.com. Start your
1: confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Philosophy for Our Time. Facts of are- Assertions. From the Institute of Art and Ideas.
0: We examine every aspect of contemporary thinking.
2: What is love? Is it real?
1: Is democracy illusory and incoherent? Finding cracks in the way we understand the world.
0: I think there is a crisis of values. Realism has failed. We
1: debate the way forward with today's leading thinkers. We're all trying to understand what the hell is going on. A live podcast production from the Institute of Art and Ideas.
2: I want to talk a bit more about this concept of shame and blame. It seems to be more evident than any time before that this is now becoming a thing that we all do. It's got to kill the pig, kill the pig, kill the pig and why is all this happening? So with us today to try and look at this very interesting social phenomenon. Is it recent? Is it new? Is it old? Robin Ince, who you'll recognise the minute he opens his mouth, is a very well-known voice from Radio 4. And uh, Karen Croydon, who's uh, very well known for some of her rather successful writing on a variety of things to do with love and relationships. And then finally, John, John Milbank, who brings what I would say is the the real academic depth. You're a professor of theology, and you have written a book with a remarkable title, The Monstrosity of Christ. These are the three people who I'm going to ask to take on this issue of shame, starting with you, Robin.
3: I think people have become addicted to the desire to feel better than other people. So it only takes one sentence taken out of context for someone to go, oh, did you see what that person said? And then everyone piles on and we don't learn from the shame. I mean, I would give examples. One would be Tim Hunt who uh, last year, about a year ago now, you may well remember uh, the, the scientist Tim Hunt uh, made a joke, a joke that went pretty badly, it got reported, uh, it was a joke about why uh, they should have single-sex uh, laboratories in science. Now in science there is an enormous problem, and this is still a problem, though it is changing in terms of women in science, so the promotion of women in science and women staying in science. But this suddenly became the major issue, was Tim Hunt, uh, 72-year-old scientist saying a joke and kind of screwing it up. It then goes on to social media, and the next thing you know, UCL say, we've got to get rid of him, because we have to manage our brand. And by doing that, we therefore go, we didn't actually stop and think and wonder... How did he say that? Why did he say that? And, okay, let's discuss. Let this grow and actually become something important. We see body shaming across the internet. We see constantly, uh, in terms of women in social media, the amount that people try and shame them. And I think this is the problem with shame, is it has become now just the act of shaming and not the act of learning from that. There is much to be learnt about what we need to do about women in science. There is much to be learnt. I mean, I I once made, this isn't even a joke, right? On Twitter, anyone who's on social media will say, it only takes one line for someone then to misunderstand it, and it goes round. A barge programme with Timothy West and Prunella Scales. Uh, And there's also a barge show with John Sargent. And I like the idea that one day, they're all very kind of like nice Sunday evening shows, one day the two teams, the ITV team and the Channel 4 team would clash with each other and John Sargent and Prunella Scales would end up having a fist fight on a lock with Timothy West in the background saying, that's it Prue, kick him in the balls. And (laughs) what happened was, within a minute someone went, you do know that Prunella Scales has got Alzheimer's, don't you? And I said, yes, I do that has nothing to do with what I've just said, mine was just a silly image, it was just a silly whimsical, well I hope no one in your family gets it. And suddenly it became the whole thing that this person missed the point. It was apparently that I was attacking Prunella Scales as opposed to making a ridiculous image and therefore you go, well, I better remove that. There are lots of issues where what is happening with shaming is people are just deciding not to say anything at all for fear they have said the wrong thing. And this means that ideas and information and evidence and knowledge don't grow. They get shut down.
0: My case is that we've got false shaming because we've abandoned the shaming you actually need you know real shame would be about the whole course of people's lives it would be about the scientists who'd systematically obstructed the careers of female scientists for example it would not be um, about the poor chap who who makes uh, a bloomer once in a while you know says we all do this you know none of us are going to survive that kind of scrutiny So I I think we need to distinguish between good shaming and bad shaming. Now, to to give a bit more um, depth to that, the crucial thing we then have to realise is that we've got this contrast between shame and guilt, um, and that's the other side of the contrast between virtue and honour. And we all assume that they're different things. I think that's wrong. I think that most, most cultures don't divide a kind of internal sense of wrong from an external sense of how you appear. Um, and I think our idea that shaming is is shame and honour just trivial stuff is very much a kind of post-Protestant thing where, where morality's got too internalized. And I think that in most cultures, including say the Middle Ages, the point about shame was that you, you had to not just do the good, you had to appear to be doing the good for it to do any good. And, and also, you listen to the judgment of other people. This idea that you only rely on your own conscience um, and you don't call yourself short if somebody is objecting to what you're doing. So, to my mind, honour and shame are about a relational dimension of, of, of ethics. They're also about style. Um, and, you know, style, the way we live our lives, courtesy, again, this isn't trivial. It's, it's the d de- you know, if, if somebody's particularly genuinely behaves in a rather off-putting manner, even if they obey the rules, they're not really being moral. That, that's my case. So we need kind of in-depth shaming. Now, I think what's really interesting is that when you have this kind of very post-Protestant individualist, it's just about guilt and rights, so you have the idea that we should just be guilty about a few rules which are usually to do with how you treat other people under certain categories in a very punctilious way, this has now got further debased into simply saying the wrong thing. So what we've got is this incredibly ironic reversal where it's supposed to be all about guilt and depth and stuff, and instead it's superficial. People are just afraid of saying the wrong thing. It's not about even whether you're really respecting rights, it's whether you use a particular verbal formula. So what this suggests to me about one final remark is you can't really escape
1: honor and shame, and in the end, if you try to, you get the debased version. Guilt is something which has served a purpose in evolutionary terms to make us better people so that we as a species could survive, so that we didn't start harming each other. Um, shame is something which is rested in societal mores. Shame is used as a social weapon. It's used to put people down. It's used to exercise control, to deliver insults. And it starts in the playground. You wet yourself and suddenly, you know, you're, you're the subject of little playground songs. All the children come together and they pick on this one person and it's, it's mass disproportionate put-downs. And we do this, we do this as children, which I think is very symbolic of what we are like as a human race. And it's pervaded through culture. You look at the Middle Ages, people turned out to watch public hangings. Fast forward to Victorian eras, it was massive shame on anyone who lost their family fortune. And it's not their fault, you know, that it might have happened through circumstance, but there's this element of shame. It's, it's all to do with the masses coming down on one person. Now, modern online shaming, which is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And it's quite a new thing. There's, you know, It's something that has evolved with social media. And I think we're starting to see just how serious it is with lots of examples, which I'm sure we'll go into later in the debate today. Um, it, this is just a modern version of what we have always done as a society. And it shows a very dark side um, of human nature. Now, I'm coming at this. Uh, I have personal experience of being online shamed I my first book was a dating memoir and it was arguably some may say a controversial dating memoir I was in my 20s at the time and I had a penchant shall we say for old men and this led in many ways started off as a bit of fun I wanted a few fancy dates and some cocktail bars to Put it bluntly uh, i wasn't looking for a rich husband or anything like that but it ended up with me dating quite wealthy older men and um, i ended up receiving gifts and in some cases allowances now at the time this felt really irksome to me you know good girls were brought up like i am don't do this and there was a massive shame in it and i ended up writing writing a book about this about my experiences and I really wrestled with the fact, should I use my real name or not? Now, there was no reason to feel guilty about what I was doing. I was having quite arm's length relationships with men who were not married. I didn't go down that route, although I could have done. I was dating men who were didn't really have time for a conventional relationship. So it worked for them, some way or another, having... Um, compensating me, I guess, financially for what they couldn't invest in a relationship time-wise. I wasn't looking for a serious relationship. They weren't looking for a serious relationship. It was all above board. Now, the, But there was still this massive shame in um, accepting gifts or allowances. I decided to, to use my real name when I wrote that book, but because this doesn't rest well with society, the, when I wrote the, you know, some of the articles that came off the back of the book, as you can imagine, from one right-leaning, very popular newspaper that's well known for its online comments, I was uh, slandered. And some of these comments were, you know, um, which I went online today and had a look. Um, It says, this is just a different slant. It's still the same oldest profession. Uh, This is dressing it up. She still sold herself. I wonder what her family think. The point is, people love to come... To shame people and there was nothing to feel guilty about so shame and guilt are very different guilt does have a role to play in society shame doesn't
2: we've established that shame and the, the current craze with shame appears to be a possibly post-protestant manifestation of the modern day and it seems out of all proportion social coherence is very very important element of it and i i, I think well, I mean, you, you were saying that people are addicted to the idea of feeling good about themselves as a result all of which admits the next question well, I it's not realize. so much
3: they're addicted, to feel, they're addicted to making themselves feel, feel better than everyone really else. Really, by... Yeah. So it means yeah. that they stay on but, a mean average of shittiness. Sure. And then, you know, because they're constantly going, Indeed. that person's but, not me. But your, that's a very you, negative... Your
2: use of that term is an attempt to define shame or to give us a clearer idea of what it is. So, can I put it to you then? Just, you know, what is shame exactly? Before we talk about the horrifying experiences you had, what is shame? See, I think that to me a lot of
3: what shame is which is why guilt and shame seem different is because one of them is kind of unknowing and and sometimes something you are, p- are powerless about so for instance a lot of obsessive uh, compulsive behavior i know this you know you you work as a, a therapist as well don't you i'm a shrink yeah, a I mean, thing, yeah. obsessive compulsive behavior comes from a fear of the shame that we can't control so for instance people who think they have irritable bowel syndrome a lot of which may actually come from the constant fear of what can you not control you can't control your bowels and you can't necessarily control your gentle so that kind of thing shame to me is often something like the boy or the girl who's the snot machine, like the person who wets themselves. I think guilt, the line, like should we shame politicians or should they actually feel guilty when we look at some of the decisions that have been made into many of the decisions about austerity. Or you look at someone like Ian Duncan Smith, who when he went to that Glasgow housing estate, what was that, how many years ago was that, eight eight years ago I think, and he saw what was going on there and he, 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 he let out a tear because his, his replicant operation uh, system was broken. And, um, and, he, let, and, and he really he said, I'm going to change things. But then what happened was he went off and he joined government. And then once he brought in all the legislation, he quickly went right at the end of it, went, oh, by the way, I didn't mean to be cruel. I'm leaving the cabinet now. And that to me is kind of that is about a guilt, a, a transitory guilt. Whereas I think shame is very often comes from guilt. I think there is some knowledge you should not have done what you did. Shame is from I had no idea that this is what I shouldn't, you know, something that I shouldn't have done. And that's why also I think sometimes again going back to some of the examples on Twitter, some of the examples of comment sections, etc., which is if we immediately leap on people and just just go, you should be ashamed. They, again, they, they're not going to, they, they feel embarrassed, but they're not going to learn from it. But that bit where you go, another example would be Matt Taylor, the, the, the scientist who, who wore a really terrible shirt with lots of kind of scantily clad women on. Everyone piled on him when it was, it should have just started off with, Matt, do you really think that shirt was a good idea for that? And, and start a conversation. I feel very often in social media in particular, if you start a conversation rather than damning someone, there is a greater possibility of both of you all of you, actually learning something and getting a little bit more
0: knowledge and a little bit more empathy. But in the end, I think the whole matter of morality and virtue has this dimension of how you appear in public, how you are performing um, a public role kind of in the long term, and that... You know, a me- merely sort of privately having a good conscience is never enough because you, what your good has to be, as it were, shown before men, um, if it's to, to be appraised, pra- to be an example. So, so I think that when we sort of do down shame and, and honour, we're doing down the relational aspect of ethics. And typically, if you don't have a notion of shame, You can have the idea that somebody maybe obeying the rules has no need to feel guilty, and yet the whole pattern of their life looks shameful. You know, why are people today not ashamed to be kind of rich bastards? You know, in the the past, however sinister the elites were, there was nonetheless this sense that, you know, if you're an aristocrat, there was supposed to be an honour code. But now we have elites utterly without, without honour. It doesn't matter that their whole public appearance is narcissistic and selfish. Um, this, it's for this kind of reason that I think genuine shaming matters. The epidemic we've got now isn't just the latest manifestation of something ancestral. I think it's an inevitable perversion um, of a very kind of narrow-minded sort of um, rights-based ethics that in the end reduces yeah. to, just to now sort you of said, political correctness just, and just, so just on.
2: Just now you use the phrase, the, the, yeah. rela- the, you know, the relational aspect of ethics. Is that another way of saying, you know, being nice to each other or being kind, being decent to your fellow it, man? It's,
0: sli- it's slightly more than that. I think it, it's saying that, you know, uh, what is good is, is something that we arrive at together as acceptable, that I don't necessarily know in myself, in my internal forum. We have to sort of tease it out. Um, in, so that the, the whole business of modes of behaviour, you know, style of behaviour, is not trivial. We've trivialised that today. Um, and so... All we're left with is this kind of, um, you know, we're ashamed either because you, you've, you've um, seemed to have broken moral shibboleths or because, you know, it's to do with... Um, our nakedness, our sexuality. I and, mean, so no, I think and actually that, yeah. we shouldn't be ashamed about that kind of thing. And it's interesting that a lot of past cultures have had figures like Russian Holy Fools. Yeah. I and think, everyone. I have to, I'm having there? to
1: make notes on all your points to come back on this because you're saying I would say there are lots of examples where shame and guilt are different and I think cultures do need to differentiate between that. What about a case of a of a woman in Iran who is in an arranged marriage to an abusive husband and and she was married off young to him and she has an affair i'm sure she wouldn't with someone that she genuinely loves i'm sure she has no reason to feel guilty about that but she would be publicly shamed she'd be publicly yeah. shamed so much that she'd be stoned in public yeah. what about the case yeah. of recently well, she'd be the politician you know guilty and falsely as well uh, in fact, she would be cynical yeah. And what we yeah. do when we confuse guilt and shame, what would we, we it serves no purpose because you can't make someone feel guilty by shaming them. The natural reaction they're going to have is to feel defensive, uh, self-defensive, and, and justify to themselves why they did it. So, take uh, another example of John Whittingale, the culture secretary. So, how would you make somebody was, feel guilty? How would you make them feel by. Uh, by making them think, as um, you said earlier, perhaps starting a conversation and getting them to think about what they've done, getting them to think about how that impacts on someone, I think the true test, shame. the test of whether something is shame or guilt is, are my actions having a negative impact on someone? Are they potentially harming someone? Is it potentially harming society? If not, there's no if, if there's no reason to feel a guilty conscious about it, there's no reason to shame it. We We create these artificial criteria for shaming now i want to bring in an example of john whittingale the culture secretary he was recently um shamed by the press because it transpired that he had had a relationship with a former prostitute he didn't know that at the time when he dated her they met on match.com he's single she's single what's the problem She, she used to work as a dominatrix i think what is the problem but he was forced to end the relationship with her because of the shaming. Now, this is, there's no he shouldn't feel guilty about that, there was no guilt involved, but yet there was shaming. And by shaming him, you're not going to make him feel guilty. So it, it just has no role whatsoever. I think the, can I ask,
3: uh, in terms of the, the shaming culture, when people are doing a lot of the shaming, and a lot of it is, is kind of uh, gender-based shaming or, or sexual shaming, like the Whittingdale one, is that because people really know that they, they want to shame the people who are oppressing them. And I know this is something Slavoj but because it takes more information to work out how you're being screwed over, instead, you punch down. So it just becomes bullying that, oh, brilliant, here, you know, Scarlett Johansson or whatever, she's accidentally a nude picture of herself or it's been stolen by someone or whatever. So you put all your shaming there because you want to get it out somewhere and you can't work out how to do it against the people who are really... Uh, oppressing you or making your life very difficult.
1: And maybe that is what we did throughout history as well. It's the scapegoat effect. Yes. Get, you know, pick on the poor, pick on the fallen. And it's something that we do as humans.
2: You mean if you're not that porky in the middle of the playground getting spat on, you're safe.
1: Yeah, Yeah. 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 But I think what all these comments are
0: missing is that behind the recent phenomenon is the divorcing of prestige from um, moral excellence. So it's because you don't get prestige from being virtuous um, that people are most afraid of being ashamed for not achieving prestige or what is regarded as decency. So women are ashamed. Um, because of their bodily appearance. Men are shamed when they get into awkward positions. Ed Miliband was shamed because he was eating... Appa- apparently, that was going to lose him an election. So we, we've completely lost our, our sense of balance. You know, if it was the case that you achieved recognition in public, if you achieved honour because you were an excellent person, then shame would work
2: differently. and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. What's the good thing about shame? Like in the good old days of shame, what, what did it well, used to do to work that kept us it. glued together? What's what's good about shame?
3: I, I don't know how far back you're going, because so I'd be interested to know actually, because I think about the fact the shaming of being uh, an unwed mother. You know, it's only in the last 20 years that they, they would find eight-year-old women who were in insane asylums, and they would go, "What?" We've just found out why you're here. It's cause you're so I wonder, what what are the good examples? Literally, because I don't know, it's not as an argument thing, of where do we go? This is when society seemed to work most effectively. Because as we go back, and if you kind of scrutinise a lot of different periods, there is still lots of different versions of shaming. Very often it ends up in death or ends up with you you know, placed alone in a, in, in a What was the point where you feel that the behaviour of human beings well, think, or which society... Yeah, well, I
0: think if you go right, I think in, say, most tribal societies, the idea that you become, you acquire sort of singular wealth or power or prestige is regarded with suspicion. So that we, you know, people aren't automatically trying to be, um, you know, more powerful and wealthier than their, their neighbours. They do that because that give, gets them recognition so you know if if you're if you're in a different social coding um and it becomes you know shameful not to be generous for example so you know even in the past even if you were a wealthy person um the expectation that there were social duties and that you would be generous were there i think I mean, there's more, america, america, more expectations america,
1: now for wealthy people no to america generous.
0: has taken this to a great extreme that you can be i mean the the phenomenon of being a, a sort of philanthropist to ease your guilt I think is the kind of banalisation so, of... But, of sorry,
2: that. Helen, are you saying that yeah. good shame, the shame that John's trying to describe here, uh, is, is, you know, is, is alive and well now?
1: I can't think of any examples of good shame. You know, you make the example you make the example a couple of times yeah. of in the past being wealthy and being in high society was at least that, that also came accompanied with an obligation to the poor i don't think that was okay get- i think they were much more elitist in the past i think we have a lot more to answer for now there's actually a lot of sh- the shame on bankers the they did yeah, but
0: but but the the growth of of, of uh, you know inequality elites without responsibility has been massive over the last 50 years maybe now the tide is beginning to turn and that's fantastic my point is quite simple really that that the idea of guilt, which is a sort of internal feeling, and shame, which is a sort of public disapproval. They're, they're not really that separable, because what we're talking about is sort of what is yeah. good behaviour going on but between... But was there um, ever a time when it was yeah. good for
2: society as a whole? Never mind individuals yeah. and the chieftains having well, status and respect. Has, has shame ever done us a lot of good? Well, I, I, I think
0: obviously it's always had a, si- a sinister aspect. But what, I w- what I would say is that without sort of social disapproval, without the sense that you're losing face if you behave badly, I don't think our morality in politics would ever have got it anywhere. I think it's, you know, it's as, it's as fundamental as that, yeah. really. But I think when it I, and I think the trouble, the trouble with confining it to guilt is that inevitably it's about... First of all, just motivation, which, as we know, is dodgy. And secondly, it tends to be about, have I violated this little series of rules? So the irony is that where liberalism is fantastically rule-based, this is what it doesn't realise. It's, it's not about um, something much more intangible that traditional ethics was was, was really all about. How do we gradually earn, learn between us? A kind of, what I would want to describe as a beautiful way of behaving. You know, in the past, ethics had a much more aesthetic dimension than it had today. And I think that's right. We, we now see that as trivial.
1: Just we, a very, very quick point. Yeah. I think, you know, shame, let's not forget that shame in many cultures leads to very negative things. In Japan, if you make a mistake, you're expected to commit suicide. In many Asian cultures, if your offspring marry yeah. the wrong person, then you're expected a, yeah. to kill them. I mean, that's what shame can do. Yeah, use. no, that, that's, right. a, that's, a, that's actually, that's
0: a very important point because I think that's the question of where can shame go so far that it doesn't really have a guilt dimension at all, that it's, it's just about an external... Code and I think, I think that is true. And well, we is that where we are now? Do you think? Um, well, I, th- I think, but only in an incredibly bizarre way because we, we obviously don't care about how we behave in tea rituals the way the Japanese do. But it, 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 it's, it's more that we've turned. Our supposedly kind of internal morality into a matter of externalised things you say, partly because we're on Twitter the whole time, so people think they can immediately see inside your mind. It's undergone this very weird reversal. But what I'm anxious to say is I think this is a new phenomenon. I think there's something very specific about it. It's also because we can take photos of everybody. So suddenly the inside of your mind is exposed. The inside of your bedroom is exposed and your bathroom. And 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 then so suddenly what was a kind of privatised ethic has inverted into being a public ethic. I think that's a, that interesting thing where mm. uh,
3: so much of our experience now is broadcast to us yeah. and is not experienced by us. But um, when you actually have proper connectivity with people when you actually see them that how many of us could say the brutish things that we might say about someone in print or online should we be looking in their eyes and we almost need to retrain ourselves and i know this might be going off the point but i think it's a lot of what both you're saying which is to think would i be comfortable saying this to someone would i really of feel they happy? Yeah. of
1: course they wouldn't well, and c- i c- think it comes interesting... to your
2: experience Helen?
1: well just Yeah, and before I do, I've just got an interesting observation, I think, why this has come to light. You know, we've talked a lot today about why Mm -hmm. is this such a new thing? And is it just because we now are hiding behind a keyboard? And I think it's a lot to do with we've lost some of the protectionism of the media. Now, I'm a journalist, right, so I know how the media works, and I know a lot of the, the legal restrictions on journalists to broadcast things. We're not allowed, as journalists, as newspapers, as broadcasters on TV, to say anything um, negative about someone or, or reveal anything about their private lives unless it's in the public interest. So we have big meetings, what we call conference in a newsroom, where we discuss with lawyers whether we're allowed to publish something. And you know, to the public they think oh the press just like drop everyone in the shit, but they don't, right? They they really have these very detailed discussions. Are we going to get into legal trouble for putting it? and this we have privacy laws, we have defamation laws all these things so and and injunctions and stuff but with the rise of twitter and youtube and all these things that's been lifted it's like we've now got free reign the public have taken it upon themselves to broadcast things and there was a and there's been so many cases where this has gone so horribly wrong because we've lost the the protection the framework of of the media you know which people criticise the media, but actually it is run with responsibility. Well, pe- now, let me just give you yeah, There's yeah. cases where people have mistakenly yeah. identified paedophiles, yeah. and those people have had to move out. They're not actually a paedophile, but because no. someone's posted a picture of Twitter on them and, and thought that they were, fact, that's their life over. But can I,
0: can I just um, sort of say three quick things? I think, first of all, people do feel you're right. They feel immune. So they say things they wouldn't say on a public stage, and they wouldn't say, in private, in their households. It's, it's, it's like a line direct to their unconscious. But I don't think it's a manifestation of so simply of you know, perennial human nastiness. I think it's also because kind of our market capitalism tries to get behind our conscious reactions. It, it tries to appeal all the time to our subliminal levels. And politicians do that as well. So people have been trained to do that. So now they've got the chance to answer back and you're seeing all this unpleasantness. But the third and most important thing is, like, what is the answer? You know, the people who should really feel ashamed are not the people being ashamed, but the people shamers. doing it. It's but, the shamers you who, know, because they're habitually doing something that is socially bad. And it's not mm. just enough to say they must be made to feel guilty. Mm. They, it must become not
2: respectable Indeed. to do that. John, what you're doing is yeah. is you're moving on to the solution. Just before we do, yeah. I, want, I want to come to that very, very shortly, but I just want to ask you, if you could to draw out of you a bit more. You just used the phrase post-Protestant. Uh, you used it earlier yeah. on. To describe, you know, yeah. as though we're moving into a darker terror incognita than we've ever been in before. You know, we're going somewhere new and nasty and scary, but how does that tie to being post-Protestant?
0: Well, I think just in the very superficial sense, and, you know, there are Catholic examples as well, that kind of in early modernity, things got sort of more internalised. They became less about the external, the sacramental, the ritual. It it was more about, you know, your private conscience and, and so on. And that was very powerful. But now I think we're in a phase where, you know, the private conscience isn't working so strongly either. That's why I might say. You mean your behaviour is being managed by some
2: all-seeing judge? You mean
0: certainly that 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 is part of it. That people had the sense they were souls and spirits, and, and so on. So they were answerable to however you saw it. And you know, because different. Robin, this, yeah. this
2: chimes very nicely it seems, with your earlier point that we became obsessed with our own individuality over everything else. You know, as long as I can dump on someone, I feel great. And, you know, and in the olden days when God or something else was around, we were kept a bit in check and that's gone now, you're saying. Well, you know, I think
0: it, it, it's when, when it has gone, it, it's quite hard to work out, you know, where the norms come from, in a sense. Do they come from nature, which is, you know, there's a very good Guardian editorial the other day actually about it. You know, nature looks pretty unpleasant and, and so on. You know, how, how do you get this idea that we're all equal and have equal dignity? I mean, this is another topic, perhaps, but right. yeah. Well, well that's like the problem it. with
3: empathy, is empathy is, a, mm. you know, one of the, mm. the great traits of of humanity, but it's also why people can be excellent torturers. What do we
2: do to stop going over to the dark side? We yeah. stop
3: and we think a little bit. That's the thing, is we have this enormous amount of information available. So We have, you know, the internet is is, is far greater than the Library
2: of but Alexandria how do we do that? was. How do we stop and think a bit Well, of first it, of all, education. Recipe, you you yeah? see,
3: you know, the education system, I think it's very interesting in America, where you see what is going on politically. And when you see Trump and his speeches put next to Barack Obama's, right, and you see, and you see about the fact that in the 1970s there was a change in the education system. They saw in the 1960s this disaster. On the campuses were people who'd been educated educated enough to actually start to question the status quo and in I think it was 1974 there was a big meeting uh, which was uh, in in Washington to say we need to change the education system and this is what we need in this country as well if anyone the trouble is the people who are in control of changing the education system it's not to their advantage but we need more critical thinking we need more philosophy in schools I don't mean necessarily learning about the great philosophers themselves but about how you look at a piece of information and you Analyze that piece of information, and you have fun with that. Whether it's scientific, philosophical, political, yeah. this is, and we need to get rid of this kind of th- this kick, this excitement that we get every time we go, ha ha ha! Look what I just did to that person, and it becomes a very, uh, an unpla- it's a drug that gets weaker and weaker. So, so you're you have saying more and then,
2: and more a richer quality of debate available for all. Is what you're yeah. Saying? Yeah. And, and, and to what role can journalism play in that?
1: Um, I think we need some regulation on um twitter and facebook and what people are broadcasting because everyone's becoming a journalist of sorts in that everyone has the capacity to broadcast and i think there will become a point where we have to inflict the same sort of restrictions on individuals as we do on um that have been in place for papers and um you know and broadcasters because i can't see any other way otherwise it's just left to um The barbaric masses to say what they want
2: you mean make their internet address available to everybody
1: um i think people need to be aware of what they can and can't say i mean you know newscasters were given restrictions for a reason that to respect privacy laws to not identify children to um to respect victims of sex crime and all these things which are very very legitimate restrictions but which do not apply on Twitter and Facebook and other social media. I don't think anyone could have envisaged just how much power individuals are given as, as broadcasters.
2: Earlier on, you said something that's very interesting about this, this, this search for solutions, I made a note of it, you said that irony might be a way out of it.
0: Well, I, I think sort of making people aware of what they're doing it often involves irony. It's, it's sort of how you mediate that between, um, across the, the web. And I very agree very much with what uh, the other two speakers have said I think they're both completely right that you know it has to be brought within the sphere of law it's just very dangerous if if people are it, it is a kind of addiction and it it's hard to know how do we do this without being totally authoritarian well, uh, uh, the and positive, I do I, I have the answer the positive
3: yeah. dopamine kick If more people knew, you know that thing where you're in a real rush and there's someone who they've got a push chair, and you think I'm going to miss that train and you go, I'll tell with it. Do you need help with that? And when you get to the bottom, there is a little bit. Your brain gives you some dopamine and, go, and goes, uh, "That was a good bit of behaviour. Well done." It has. And, and that actually is far more. It's a far more pleasant feeling. That's why I'm talking that, yeah. about
0: habits and shame. It has to be uncool to do this. You know, we, but if you actually go, to, it actually chemically
3: yeah. is, you know, just just going. If you just want to go for your own selfish reasons, do you know why I like to be kind? Selfishly, I love the sensation of dopamine in my brain.
0: <laughs> you know, that's, and of course, we might all. Which, you
3: know, all our actions of generosity. But the, assert, you know what?
0: The, the other dimension of this we're not saying is that all these apparently, you know, spontaneous, free for all things are really subtle instruments of control. You know, it's it, it, in a way the people running in Google, I suspect, are really happy that we're all insulting each other.
1: That's a very good point, actually, because news organisations do this. They use the public as. Um, they go to the public to make comments because, you see, the papers can't get sued for what the public says because yeah. it's past as comment, but they can get sued if they say that themselves. So a couple of exa- examples. Uh, we've, we've mentioned it already, so let's say it again. The Daily Mail does this a lot. They love, love getting their readers in a right frenzy about you know, something that the writer has done. Now, nearly every journalist that I know has like, written some... First person confession of the Daily Mail and then live to regret it. And they always come up with like a brilliant headline, you know, like, I slept with my best friend's fr-, or, or, you know, something like that, which they massively twists the headline. And it just, and all these angry comments ensue based on what the headline says, which is probably misleading anyway. But you know what? The media love it because it does get people in. You seem
2: to be saying then that this is this, 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 this is an epidemic, It's avalanche is avalanches, something to do with, you know, individuality gone crazy and the solution seems to be if i'm i'm concerned. not sure it's
3: individuality though because actually what you're normally but, doing is but, if you're all trending together yeah, yeah. then you you're actually it, it's but these people aren't
2: acting collectively they're acting individually in, in, the, in the safety of their own anonymous living rooms or computers mm-hmm. what i'm saying is the answer seems to be to, be, to for the individuals to connect something bigger than themselves. That seems yes. to be the answer. Absolutely. If, you know, and we can do that through God, through law, through society, through intelligent debate, through shaming the Daily Mail and logging on to the Daily Mail song on YouTube, <laughs> and um, all, all sorts of other things we can do like that. And uh, I just simply want to end it then. I think we we'll have gone for a lot longer. But uh, can I just ask you simply very much to thank our, 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 our three participants for a fascinating and as yet unresolved debate.
1: We hope you enjoyed this podcast, brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. What do you think? We've heard a lot about embarrassing scandals, but should we be thinking about the shame imposed on certain groups for simply existing? Let us know by tweeting at IAI underscore TV with the hashtag #ShameGame. And why not listen to our debate, the limits of freedom on the IAI TV player. If you want to listen to more episodes, subscribe to the Philosophy for Our Times podcast on iTunes, Soundcloud or Stitcher for more big ideas on the go. We would love to hear your feedback, so please do email us on podcast at iai.tv. In our next podcast, Helena Cronin talks about the stats behind gender segregation in the workplace.